But we are, we've been in a series, and so uh, we've been in a series called Running on Fumes, and we've talked about that our life is not uh, designed spiritually to run alone. And just like physically, your life's not designed to run alone without some exercise and without some good, healthy food intake. The same is true of us spiritually, uh, that we cannot live the life that God's called us to live, that Christ has set us apart to live if you have a relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. And if not, today's the day of salvation. You can do that by simply confessing your sins and asking Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. But there's got to be some healthy intake in our life. There's got to be some spiritual uh, meat, some spiritual food that we bring into our heart and our life. I'm reminded of what Peter said, that we as newborns babes desire milk. We are desired the Word of God. And then also we're told in Scripture that we're to move on from the milk just like a child. And we're to move to the meat of the Word and grow. That means we've got to be pulling up to the tank. How often do we pull up to the tank we've been talking about? Every day. That's right. Every day we have to pull up and fill our tank spiritually because we are in this race. We are running. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, and this has been our key in our theme text, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And I want to read it again to you. And then we're going to go to the book of Genesis uh, today for our uh, main text to go along with this concept. Do you not know, Paul said, that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize. So run that you may, and we've been settling in on that word, obtain it, he says. Every athlete exercises self-control, that's a biggie, in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable, he says. So I do not run, everybody say, aimlessly. Aimlessly. Too many people that are children of God, or at least wear the title Christian, are running aimlessly in this life. It's easy to get to, to where you're running aimlessly because you look to the left, you look to the right. The Proverbs remind us, look straight ahead. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not look to the left at what the world's doing. I do not look to the right at what uh, the people are doing that are worshiping pagan gods. I look straight ahead to the cross. When I'm being stoned and left for dead, Paul is saying, literally, I look straight ahead to Jesus Christ and the finish line and the prize. I do not box as one beating in the air. Now, what he means there is I'm not here on earth to waste my time and build my own uh, uh, status or build my own empire or build my own agenda. I'm, I'm living for one king. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So I run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. And then he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So in week one, we looked at these simple takeaways uh, that are very pivotal in our life spiritually. And the first one was run with the end in mind. Run with the end in mind. That is the key. If we're going to live the Christian life and, and walk as God desires for us to walk and encounter the persecution that's on the increase, even in this country, is we're going to have to run with the end in mind. And that's exactly how Paul ran his life. Stephen, when you look in the early church, who Paul, when he was Saul, had something to do with his death and was standing there in the shadows watching him be in stone. And we see in Scripture that Stephen, a man of God, had the end in mind. And because he was so focused to live in his life, for Christ. He was being stoned for the sake of the gospel, and he's looking so much at the prize, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus does in heaven? Do you remember? He stands up. He stands up. There's such a connection here that, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is so in tune with Stephen, and Stephen's so in tune with him. And at this point, Paul is Saul, and he's on the outskirts, and he thinks he's living for a good cause. And he thinks he has aim in his life. 
He thinks he has purpose in his life. He thinks everything that he's learned under Gamal, who was a wise teacher of the law, that he's doing everything right when yet he's persecuting Christians. And that's why God showed up and gave him a wake-up call. And God began to fill his tank daily. And so that's the key text. And so we run with the end in mind. Last week we said daily obedience paves the way to the prize. It's this same concept. Daily obedience. A daily spiritual intake paves the way to the prize. And then today's takeaway is this. The greatest blessings come from holding on to God and not letting go. The greatest blessings come from holding on to God and not letting go. Rich, a minute ago, in the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said a word into this generation to those of you that have been saved 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And, and you've held on to God's promises, even when you didn't understand the storms of life. You've held on knowing that God is God and God is sovereign. And we're not always going to understand everything, but you know that God understands everything. And you've come to a point in your life where you don't have to understand everything. You don't have to have all the answers, but you simply trust God. And so the greatest blessings come from holding on to God and not letting go. But many times you'll be tempted to throw in the towel or to let go. But it's dangerous to put yourself in a place where you're running on fumes. And we've been talking about that this whole series. And I've shared with you some of my personal experiences that how I ran out of gas because I got so involved in looking down the road rather than looking at my warning sign or looking back at my warning sign. And it's the same way with us spiritually. We will run out of gas. And so uh, you, you spiritually are designed to need gas just like a car is designed to need gas. Okay, So you have to have this spiritual intake and you have to have the right intake. Now, as I thought about gas, you know, there are situations and sometimes that uh, obviously we wouldn't intake gas personally, like unleaded gas. I hope you wouldn't. And we talk about siphoning off somebody else's gas. You can't do that. Spiritually speaking, you have to have your own. But I thought of those story, Jimmy, about a, a, that I told one of my high school teachers about this little beagle dog that I had. And uh, I'll never forget this because this high school teacher, he was all the time... Um, he was kind of all the time cutting up with us and getting everybody in class, you know. And so I was sitting there one day, and I said, well, I just need to tell him about my little beagle dog and uh, see what he thinks about my little beagle dog. And so I told him, I said, uh, <clears throat> I said, Mr. McCrillis, Nicky McCrillis was his name, over in Havel, Alabama. And uh, he said, yeah, Toby. And uh, I, said, uh, I said, did I tell you about that little beagle dog of mine? And he said, no, I, I don't believe you did. And the whole class was listening, you know. And I said, well, I got this little beagle dog. I said, it's, it's a few fries short of a happy meal. You know what I'm saying? This elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. And I literally got a batch of ham like that right now, okay? And, uh, but, um, but anyway, I said, the other day, I said, I was changing out the gas in my push lawnmower in spring, getting ready to, you know, cut the grass. And I said, I poured that old watery gas out of my push lawnmower in a bowl over there. And I set it to the side. And I was over there working on the carburetor, you know cleaning it out, and I said, I looked over there, and I said, that old stupid beagle dog of mine was sitting there lapping up all that old watery gas. I said, and the dog was hyper anyway. I said, but you know, I said, what is that dog? I said, he's crazy. I said, and I looked out there in a few minutes, and we had two horseshoe stops. I said, and that dog was running around them horseshoe stops like I've never seen. I said, a dog run. I said, it just run and run and run until its tongue was hanging out, and I said, finally, it fell over. And of course, he said right there in front of the class, some things some of y'all are saying and thinking. He said, did he kill him? I said, no, he just ran out of gas. Um, so so make, sure, make sure the gas, some of y'all were thinking it, right? I didn't make you say it out loud. And if I saw him today, 20, golly, how many years later, almost 30 years later, um, he would, first thing he would ask me is, how's that puppy doing here? And uh, so anyway, but we've got to have a spiritual intake of gas uh, in our hearts and our lives to live the way God wants us to live. And so I want to I tell you some common mistakes that we make today to start this out. And here's some common mistakes that we make. We try to hold on to things that don't matter as much as we think they do. 
We try to hold on to things. Now, when Paul used the word aimlessly, that's what he's talking about. He says, I don't try to hold on to things that don't matter. He says, I'm so in tune and in focus with God, God's purpose on my life, God's kingdom, God's transformation in my life on the Damascus Road, that I'm not going to try to hold on to things that don't matter. But if I focus on those things, they will seem like they matter to me. And I believe that's a state of where many people today and Christ followers are and where many people in the life of the church today are is that they've went after things and they're trying to hold on to things and the devil has basically uh, uh, deceived them in making them think that these are the important things in life. And whether that be your possessions, you know, and Jesus had that conversation with the rich man and he'd, he'd done everything. He'd loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, his neighbor as himself. And Jesus knew his heart and said, well, man, it looks like you, so you're ready to follow. I'm ready to follow you, Lord, no matter what. And he said, well, go sell everything you've got and all those possessions. Give them to the poor and let's get on with this thing. And then he was saddened in his heart and he looked down because what had happened is he had begun to look to the left, look to the right, and chase the things of the world. Paul said, you can't do it. So I want to give you, uh, basically, uh, that mistake is trying to run and hold on to things that don't matter as much as you think they do. And then a second mistake is trying to hold on to things that matter by making them more important than God. See, there are things that matter in life, but many times what we do is we try to hold on to them, but we elevate them to a level of importance to where we prioritize them more than God. That's what I love about the song that we sang, Give us clean hands, give us pure heart, and that let, let us not lift our souls to another. Oh, God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face. Oh, God of Jacob. And that's who we're going to be talking about here in just a minute, the God of Jacob and how God literally rattled Jacob's life, flaws and all, and how Jacob realized this concept of walking with God and holding on and not letting go until he received the blessing of God in his life. So when we try to hold on to things that matter by making them more important than God or elevating them, that's called idolatry, and it's a great way to burn out. On God, It's a great way to run uh, low on spiritual gas. It's a great way to be running on fumes. Let me give you a primer this morning. This is very important. As we set this text up in Genesis chapter 22, uh, I want to give you a primer to what is going on in the life of Jacob because I believe that some of you may need the primer before we get into the, uh, the paint this morning of God's word and what God is teaching Jacob. And many of you know Jacob, but some of you may not remember Jacob's life and what he was, but he actually himself was known as a deceiver. And uh, he, along with his mother, Rebecca, they fooled, and, um, uh, fooled Isaac, his father, and made him look like he was Esau. And so we know the story behind that. And so there's consequences to pay when you take matters into your own hands. That's another concept that we've been talking about uh, that we are not to do. And so Rebecca and Jacob took matters into their own hands. And so there were consequences because of that. And uh, Jacob finds himself, after all this is going on, he finds himself seeking God. He finds himself with a desire and a heart to follow God. And so we find him in this text at the beginning of chapter 30, um, 33, he basically, or 32, he is going out to, um, to meet Esau. And he's very concerned because they've had this disconnect and he starts to remember how he deceived Esau. And what he doesn't know is what's in Esau's heart. Because if you remember Esau, one of the problems that his own father and, uh, had with him is that he sought out after the ways of the pagans. And, and he didn't follow the ways of Jehovah. And so Jacob is very concerned of what's going to happen. And that's what you see in the beginning uh, verses here of this text. 
all the way up until 22 where our key main text is that is that basically they're having this encounter and so what Jacob does if you remember this story is that Jacob he sends groups on ahead of him and he sends them in different numbers because he's trying to get a feel for the heart of Esau he's trying to see is Esau going to kill this group first and then how can I protect my family how can I protect myself what is going to be his response and of course we know that the story goes on that we see the hand of God in the situation and, and basically, Jacob realizes that God is with him. And so the primer is, is that you must move past your fears to experience what God has for you in the future. You must move past your fears to experience what God has for you in the future. It would have been very easy for Jacob to turn and run. Now, some of you right now with where you're at, you say, may say, well, I'm not Jacob, and I'm not about to encounter somebody that's going to kill me. No, but you may be about to encounter something that's instilling fear in you. Or the devil wants to use in you to discourage you, to diminish you, to deplete your faith. And so God is trying to tell you, do you trust in me? Do you believe I'm sovereign? Do you believe I can take care of you uh, in those aging years? Do you believe I can take care of you when you're having to take care of your aging or your sick spouse? Do you believe I can take uh, care of you and get you through the empty nest stage? Do you believe I can take care of you when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? And he's saying, I can take care of you, but you've got to walk and believe that. So there is a benefit to being left alone when you're walking uh, with or in the Spirit. When you're walking with or in the Spirit. I use the two words with or in intentionally because Jacob, we know, was walking with. He wasn't walking in the Spirit because we walk in the Spirit on this side of the grave because of the way God sent the Holy Spirit. But Jacob still was aware of who Jehovah God was. He was walking with the Spirit. And I can just see Jacob looking at his children and as they're preparing for bed, and being grateful that they all were alive. I can just see that happening. But I can also see him looking at his two wives and going, what on earth was I thinking? All right. So, uh, but anyway, because the text says that he had two. And uh, so, uh, but anyway, look at verse 22 and uh, verse 33. And we're going to dive into the text this morning and look at the truth uh, behind this. In verse 22 of chapter 32, it says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, see there it is, <clears throat> his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Now, he's preparing himself, and God's preparing him, whether he realizes it or not, but he's preparing himself to be alone. And it's an intentional aloneness. One thing that I see today in, in, in the busyness and the pace of life of where we are at and where I find myself is, is we don't, we're not proactive enough and we don't prepare ourselves enough to make some alone time so that God can speak and say what he wants to say. And when we've got all these other voices coming into our mind that we receive down into our heart and our spirit, many times those voices may be used more by the enemy than, 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 than good for good for the, the person's even speaking. Not that they may be used by the enemy, and sometimes they may be used by the enemy, but we've got to make some alone time to get alone with God. And Jacob th- th- made some alone time, and this is the benefit of being left alone um, with God when you're walking with the Spirit. That's the key. Uh, it's easier, number one, the first benefit is it's easier to be still and know that God is God and you're not. That God is God and you're not. It's easier to know that concept and that principle. So picture this, all that Jacob has just seen, there's this, in, there's this fear that the enemy's trying to seize him with. Esau's going to kill you. Esau's mad. Do you remember what you did to Esau? He's not going to just kill you. He's going to kill all your children. He's going to take all your livestock. He's going to kill all your servants. And so the devil's just hounding him. And so he has this great concern, all right? Hopefully it was concern and not fear, but he has this great concern and probably a little bit of fear, honestly, that we see in meeting Esau. 
But when he got along with God, because he was walking with the Spirit, God revealed this principle to him. Did you see what I just did? You thought it was going to go a different way, didn't you? You get that bad report and you think it's over. My life's gone in three weeks. It's terrible. I've got cancer. I know I do because they called and told me I've got to come by. But then you see God intervene. You see the sovereign hand of God intervene. And then God speaks to you and says, it's not near as bad as the enemy tries to make it, is it? Or maybe you're that one and you say, no, my report revealed that I did. But then God always, have you ever noticed how you can look to the left or right and see somebody's got it a lot worse than you've got it and God's been good to you? Always. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You can always give God praise. That's why the psalm says, you praise him at all times. God is God and you are not. You say, well, I don't want to be God. Oh, really? Why then do we keep trying to win the battles in our life and our own power? Why do we walk around many times dominated by fear, worry, anxiety, discouragement, depression? Because we have forgotten who our God is and we are walking in the flesh and not the spirit. And so fortunately, Jacob was learning this principle. And because he was willing to submit to God, resist the devil so that the devil would flee, God was about to teach him something that all of us need to learn because we worship the God of Jacob. And our God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he wants us to learn this principle. So when you're walking with or in the Spirit, your family and friends are not a distraction. Let this one sink in. See, when your priority is to stay focused on the finish line and to not run aimlessly and to not just be boxing and beating the air and you know you're living intentional and you're living on purpose as Paul was talking about and your eyes on the prize, you're walking in the Spirit. You're walking with the Spirit. And so your family is not going to become a distraction because you prioritize the Spirit. Now, if we're not keeping our eye on the finish line and on the prize, and we find ourselves looking to the left or right and running names, so let me tell you, even your own family and friends can be used as a major distraction in your life. To not necessarily speak optimism in the purpose of God, in the plan of God, and, and encourage you to be about the kingdom of God. So when you're alone with God in the spirit, the voice of the devil and demons become distant. That's what I love. That's what I love about getting in the presence of God personally. That's what I love about incorporating a little bit of music like we do here on Sunday mornings, even in my own personal, and just talking to God and being reminded. I think of David, you know, and, and, and what that must have been like in his relationship and how God uses that music to prepare our heart to have an encounter with God. I think about it in here, how when the presence of God settles in, I just kind of laugh sometimes under my, under my voice, and I'm like, Satan, you're not even close. You're not even on the campus this morning, you know. Thank God because of the blood of Jesus and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God is talking about, and that's what God's revealing to Jacob. Do you care enough to get along with me? Because when you get along with me, I'm going to do something in your life. When you get along with me, I'm going to calm all your fears. When you get along with me, I'm going to tell you that all your failures are in the past. When you get along with me, I'm going to tell you that I'm a God of second chances, and I'm about to bless you. But I can't bless you unless you're willing to put the children down and say bye to the wives and make me a priority and get along with me. I can't bless you and get you focused like I want to and move your heartbeat till you're willing to say no to your own agenda, no to the things in your life that the enemy uses to distract you, to get you from fulfilling the purpose of God on your life. And so that's the power of being along with God in the spirit. 
It, distractions go away. Devils and demons go away and their voices and their influence. Now, the danger of being left alone while walking in the flesh is this. Idle time is the devil's tool shop and he will work on you. We've all heard that saying before, right? Idle time is the devil's tool shop. Show me a teenager with internet access with no restrictions or any kind of access uh, to friends and peers without any restrictions and any accountability, and I will show you trouble, right? Because we all live in the flesh. Show me a three-year-old, as I talk to ours up here every week, our three- and four-year-olds, and, um, and, I, and I talk with them, and I, I say, you know, if mom makes cookies, fresh-baked cookies in there, chocolate chip cookies, and she brings them out of the oven, and they're sitting on the table, and you can smell them, I said, and mom tells you, hey, don't you touch these now until you eat dinner. And she goes back to the back room, and you know she's going to be back there cleaning for 30 minutes. I look at those little sweet little three- and four-year-old grandchildren that some of y'all think are so perfect. If you're a grandparent, I say, now, how many of y'all is going to be tempted just to get a little bit closer and smell them a little more? And them little old hands start going up, you know. And I said, how many of you is going to be tempted to reach out there and touch one and take it? start doing I said you bunch of little sinners all right so but anyway but teaching them teaching them that sin nature and that's the way it is we've got this sin nature in us and the enemy will use it so idle time is the devil's tool shop and he will work on you idle time will also lead you to the devil's playground and he will lure you towards sinful uh, temporary pleasure that will cost you everything and Peter talked about that as he uses a, a, a trap and a lure we talked about that years ago with the trap and he will lure you in and tempt you now look at verse 24 and 25 as we learn from the life of Jacob I want you to look at verse 24 and 25 here it says and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the break of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. What is going on here? I'll tell you what is going on. Jacob, because he was willing to get alone, he has an encounter with God Almighty, and God knows what you're capable of when you're willing to get alone and walk in the Spirit and with the Spirit, but he wants to reveal it to you so that you can see it. I've heard Jimmy say that to me many times. God knows what we're capable of. God already sees the outcome. But God does play, take pleasure in showing us and instilling a confidence, I always say a confidence, a healthy confidence in Christ to help us see what we're made of. And it helps put the enemy in his place because of who God is, not because of who we are. So we learn in Jacob's life and we learn in our life, God literally wants to mark you for his glory. Look at verse 25. He's marking Jacob for his glory. And he tells, he tells him this in verse um, 25. It says, it says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, I want to remind you, and you'll see the importance of the takeaway this morning. Do you remember the takeaway? The greatest blessings come from holding on to God and not letting go. So how does that look in your life today? How does that look in my life today? Are we holding on to God? Are we holding on to God? Are we making time for God? Are we pulling up to the gas tank and fueling up every day? The question is this for us all, I really believe. Will you cease to let go of God no matter the pain that comes to you? I want, you to, I want you to picture yourself in this journey. Like, take your spiritual walk and spiritual life if you're a believer. And, and look at your spiritual life. Remember when God transformed you? Man, you were ready to storm hell with a water pistol, right? I mean, you were ready just to storm hell with a water pistol. 
And you remember how God moved in your heart and everything else uh, was no longer a distraction. But it didn't take real long, did it? It didn't take real long for the enemy to kind of to wait. He'll hide and he'll wait. It didn't take long for somebody to speak a negative word into you that your best friend you were burdened about, that you were going to share faith with, was going to turn you down and was going to not be your friend anymore, or your family member was going to tell you you're weird if you try to talk with them about Jesus because you were burdened about their heart. It didn't take long for the devil to try to get you uh, uh, looking to the left or the right or, or, or running aimlessly in your life and to begin to say, now run after this. This is what's important in life. Run after these things. This will give you happiness, temporary happiness, yeah, but it won't give you joy. And so he began to distract you, and that's the way he is. But when you cease to let go of God, um, no matter the pain that comes to you, you're talking about a wrestling match, and that's what happened with Jacob. Jacob is so in tune now. He's not running aimlessly. He's keeping his eye on the prize. He's having an encounter with God, and he did not even know. Here's the deal. <laughs> he did not know what the prize was himself, even when he was holding on to God. Now, can I just be honest and transparent with you enough? I'm a little more motivated sometimes to hold on to God and what he wants for me if he'll show me what the prize is before I know what it is. Are you with me? Can I just tell you what the prize is? The prize is God no matter what the reward is. The, the prize is God. If you think about in our competition, all those things, people get to run and they get to run for the prize. But there's a spiritual concept here that I believe Jacob realized. I believe Jacob realized that even when he didn't understand what was about to happen and that God was about to do in his life, he still held on to God because he knew he was wrestling with the prize. And even if it meant pain, even if it meant hardship, even if it meant um, uh, tough times in his life, he knew he was close to God and he wanted to hold on to God more than anything, no matter the pain. Now, I believe many times in our life, we want to hold on to God as long as everything's going okay. Think about that concept. Well, I want to hold on to God when the times are good. Well, I want to hold on to God when the persecution's kind of light. Well, I want to hold on to God when the momentum's kind of strong. But what God wants to know is are we willing to hold on and not let go because we see him as the prize so that the blessing can come in our life? And God determines what the blessing is. Jacob didn't necessarily know. He just knew that he was in a wrestling match with God. So we see in verse 26, this wrestling match. Then he said, look at verse 26, let me go for the day is broken. Who said that? <laughs> You'd think that Jacob was the one that said that. Man, if you're wrestling with God, I mean, you're being worked over. You, you, you realize that you're no match. But there's something deep down that's been placed inside of you by the Spirit of God that you say, I don't care. The pain is worth enduring. How does someone, how does Miss Tuny back here put a smile on her face? How does she show up 
force herself many times to say it'd be easier to lay in the bed, show up, and get in the presence of God like we do in here on Wednesday, the presence of God like we are in here this morning, and still put a smile on herself, on her face, knowing that she's just buried a daughter, knowing that cancer's in her body. She knows that she's in the presence of God, and he's greater to hold on to than to hold on to that bed. the same concept that Ridge talked about with this generation and many of you holding on to God and having to bury your own children, your own grandchildren. And so many would turn their back and go, where was God when my grandchild ran off the road? Where was God when I had to bury my children? Where was God when this bad thing happened in my life? I'll tell you where God was. He was preparing a place for you where there's no more sickness, death, or pain and offering grace to keep you out of a place called hell where we all deserve to be. That's where my God was. And that's a God of grace. But don't let the devil get you looking aimlessly or beating the air or looking to the left or right because you'll begin to believe what the agnostic and the atheist believe is that God doesn't care about you. And there's no one ever cared more about us than God. He cares about us. So we must cease to, not, uh, we must cease to let go of God um, no matter the pain that comes with us. So he finds himself in this wrestling match here. And look what he says. He, 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 then God is speaking here. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I've never been this close to you. I will not let you go unless you bless me. God, I believe you've got something for me. I will not let you go. So what do we see in this? Commit to the new purpose God has for you. Verse 27 and verse 28 as we walk through this text. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Do y'all realize we're talking about a wrestling match right here that happened thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago? But do you realize there's never been so, so much focus? There's more focus on the name change right here than there's ever been on planet Earth. Right now, even on the night of a blood moon that some people think is prophetic, and I'm not going to get into all that, I just know we're one day closer to Jesus coming back. But there's more focus. There's more focus right now on the place and the people that God changed Jacob's name to in this wrestling match. Jimmy, I think I'd be all right if he did come back tonight. What a great message to end up with. Amen? To know that God's going to protect his children. The only thing that would burden my heart are the people that God's called us to reach in the shadow of our steeples and the unreached people groups that need Jesus Christ. That God would burden our heart as we talked about it here on Wednesday. But commit to the new purpose God has for you. Verse 27, he said, what is your name? And then verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Are you willing? Are you willing? To stop chasing the things of the world. Are you willing to quit worrying about what you family member is going to say when you share faith with them are you willing to stop doing church like we've always done it to find the purpose of God and to find that God brings purpose when you're living on purpose for his purpose commit are you willing to commit to the new purpose that God has for you see because God is in the business of changing names 
God is in the business of changing names. I always think 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that Paul said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. God's in the business of changing names. Well, look at this truth. You will know when you've been in the true presence of God, and others will know it as well. You will know (laughs) when you've been in the presence of God. You will know when you've been in a holy, sanctified wrestling match with God. Now, can I just tell you that I believe most of the wrestling matches that take place between God and his children don't have the same outcome as this wrestling match, unfortunately. See, because I believe the intent and the motive is different for many when they wrestle with God. God's having to come and find them. God's having to come and, and chasten them because he loves us, as the Bible talks about. He, he chastens those in whom he loves. But it's always God having to pursue. Oh, but there's a remnant. There's a minority. There's a minority. There's a remnant that's chasing and pursuing God. That's saying, God, I'm not, I'm not fighting aimlessly. God, I'm not looking to the left or right. God, I am holding on to you no matter what until you bless me. God, I'm holding on to you no matter what happens in this world. No matter what kind of deals or signs. God, I'm holding on to you, trusting you, God, that you are sovereign and that, Lord, you are going to take care of me. I will not let go until you bless me. I'm holding on to you. What's the prize, Jesus? Could it be? It's just a question for all of us. Could it be that we've forgotten the value of the prize or the prize no longer moves our heart like it once did and that's why we're chasing after other temporary prizes? See, that's what I love. That's what I love about how the Spirit of God is being poured out on this faith family because when we truly come in here unified and unity is a key ingredient for revival and awakening, and I I believe, I'm telling you, In my heart, there is no doubt God wants to bring an awakening and a revival right here in our midst. And I don't know what all that looks like. But I want to be a part of it. I want to wrestle through the lies of the enemy. I want to wrestle through the discouragements. I want to wrestle through to say, God, would you take, not just me, but would you take every born-again believer in the life of your church here at Smoke Rise. And would you put in our heart to do what you would do if you only had 30 days to come walk on this earth till you came back? What about that? I tell you what would happen. He'd shake things up for us, wouldn't he? He'd shake things up. You say, what would that look like? Well, it might look like you getting out of your car and you walking in, but everybody else walking out and them going, where are you going? And them saying, to be the church. To go love on those that have never been loved on by Jesus. To go tell somebody about my new name, my new purpose. Because I've got so focused on the prize that I've said I'm not running aimlessly anymore. And you'll know it. And let me tell you, others will know it. Look at verse 29 through 32 as we wrap this up. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. 
So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now look at this impact. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So you will know when you've been in the true presence of God, and others will know it as well. The question is, as you bow your head and close your eyes this morning, what has your wrestling matches been looking like between you and God? What, what, what are those wrestling matches? What does that look like in your life? What does what your faith journey look like? Can you say, I am running aimlessly, I have not been beating the air, I'm not storing up earthly treasures for no gain, but I'm running with the end in mind. I'm striving to pull in and, and fill up every day on the high-octane Word of God, so knowing that daily obedience pays the way to the prize. And the greatest blessing... Can you say, God has brought me or God is bringing me or I'm walking in the truth that the greatest blessings come from holding on to God and not letting go? What does that look like for you today? Are you running on fumes because you've been running in the flesh? Have you ever died to the flesh and been made alive in the spirit? Can you go back can you take somebody back and tell them when God changed your name? See, if you're a believer, God gave you the prize when he changed your name. What man must do to enter heaven, you must be born again. Spiritually speaking, that's a concept of a true transformation by the Spirit of God where you receive a new name. So if you're here today and you say, man, I'm here, <laughs> you may think you came for somebody else. You may think you came just to pat yourself on the back to feel good that you went to church, but you came today possibly by divine appointment if you don't know the Lord. And God is speaking in your heart and says, I want to give you a new name. I want to bless you. I want to give you the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's you today and you want Jesus, would you just right there in your spirit, would you say, dear God in heaven, thank you for your blessing. God, I turn from my sin. I accept your forgiveness. And Lord, I receive your prize, Lord Jesus. I receive you as the prize. Thank you for changing my name. Thank you for changing my nature. And I will live for you from this day forward. No matter the cost. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, can we give God praise for somebody who may have prayed that this morning? Amen. And believer, I want to ask you, are you tired? Are you depleted? Are you discouraged? Are you depressed? Are you running on fumes because you're not walking in the Spirit? Are you willing to let go? Here's the question for us as believers as we deal with our heart. Are you willing to let go of the steering wheel of your life and let the Holy Spirit do the driving? 
Are you willing to wrestle with God and hold on that He blesses you so that others can see the mark on your life from encountering a holy God? As you bow your head and close your eyes, the altar's always open. But whatever it is you need to say to God, say it yourself. What do you mean say it yourself? Don't wait on somebody else to give you the words. See, because God's not wanting you to tag out with anyone in this wrestling match. God's not wanting you to be an observer in this wrestling match. God's calling you to step into the ring. God's calling you to desire to encounter Him so much in an intimate way that you are willing to hold on to him hold on to him and not let go because he's worth it and because he is a God of blessing so tell God whatever it is he speaks in your heart and then I'll pray over us Father, we thank you, God, that you're sovereign and you're Lord over time. Lord, time can seem like an eternity if we're not used to getting along with you. Father, but we worship you and we praise you. and We're reminded, God, that even when Jacob was wrestling with you, He didn't fully comprehend and understand that one day there would be another. Another man whose name started with J. Who would walk this earth. Who would literally encounter the greatest wrestling match of all time with the devil and his demons. To win that match, God, at the cross so that we can have a new name, Father. And today, God, we praise you for the new names that will be written down in glory in the Lamb's Book of Life. God, we pray for those who are not in it, Father God. Would you use us, Father, to tell them of your love and lead them to you, Father? God, would you move in our hearts as believers, Father? Would, Lord, would we live this concept, not just read it, God, and listen to it, but would we live this concept, God, so that we would not run aimlessly, so that we would not just be beating the air, Lord, so that we would not be living our lives, God, on this earth for no cause or no greater purpose, Father, for your glory. 
So God, thank you. Thank you for the blessing. And Lord, instill in our heart a desire, a passion, and a spirit to hold on and not let go. And to desire to be more attached to you. That it, Lord, gets us through the pain. It gets us through the persecution. And God, even if we have to come out with a limp, we can say, we know that our Redeemer lives and that you have what's best for us, Father. You've been good to us, God. You've been great to us. And we worship you and praise you, God. And help us to walk in your strength, your power, and in the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Love you, church. God bless you.